Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to our first episode of Deep Dive on Defense, and today we're going to focus on team tackling and taking a different perspective on tackling. I think we've gotten into this world where we focused on a lot of drills, we put our team in circuits, uh, we talk about different aspects of tackling, but today we're going to have Coach Vince Digitano, who's assistant coach at Fordham, talk about how you can create your defense really around the idea of tackling and it's something certainly we understand defense is tackling but I think we've gotten away from it and and what he's put together the resources he's shared over the last year especially during this pandemic and shutdown I think have been incredible whether it's been his uh, daily uh, tackle study or some of the courses that he's put together on coach tube just some incredible stuff so coach dig always great to have you here and talk ball with you Absolutely, Keith. Thanks for uh, having me again. Great to uh, catch up with you on the first episode of A Deep Dive. Absolutely. Well, for for you, it was a little over a year ago. Uh, time on your hands like everybody. Started looking at just different aspects of tackling. You've always looked at tackling, I think, in a different way, in a very comprehensive way. Um, but some of this just started on social media and taking some clips from the NFL and, and putting those together in into volumes now of, of clips of what you call tackle study. So uh, what was, I guess, the the idea behind that? You know, wh- why did you get into those things? And you continue to do it. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, but the, the thoughts on putting those things out there daily. Yeah, I think, you know, like everybody else, I think that there was, you know, and and obviously before I even get into that, you know, I hope everybody is continues to remain safe because, you know, this is definitely something that, um, although we're through a lot of stages of it, um, you know, we continue to, 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 um, you know, hope that everybody continues to stay safe and healthy with it too. But I think part of it too was, um, you know, we did, like you said, have time on hand. And as you started to look at, at film, just started to say to yourself, you know, I've kind of like watched all my own film. And once the announcements were made that seasons were going to be delayed or halted or whatever the case may be, and, and you kind of weren't weren't really looking at opponents anymore, you kind of had everything kind of done because, you know, up to that point, we were kind of still working. I think it was up to maybe like May of last year. We were kind of all on the, on the, on, of the mindset we were going to eventually play in the fall. And you had your regular preparation and everything kind of going that way. And once you got to a point, it was kind of like, we need to find some other things to dive into. And I'd always kind of been looking at tackling from a perspective of, uh, of um, you know, grading our own tackling and, and looking at, like, how we design drills and work like that. But 
ultimately what ended up happening was I said to myself, I never really looked at other people like fit plays up to tackle. And of course, started it at the highest level at the NFL level and kind of started looking at unique ways that angles took place and unique ways that the ball was leveraged and how space changed and how time changed and things like that. And ultimately what ended up happening was uh, I had a background in, you know, some of the video uh, editing, video design, you know, being a former D3 coach back in the day, I, I did all my own, all my own uh, um, video editing. And I realized I kind of had not really done some of that stuff in a while. And as I was looking at these things, you start looking really, really deep into the perspective, into some of the, the real details when it comes to tackling outside of the fundamentals that we coach. And once you kind of get to that level, um, it's, it's the fundamentals appear, but you see them in very unique scenarios. And over time you start to say to yourself, you're like, I'm seeing these repeat scenarios happen over and over again. And, I started off watching a couple of clips from a couple of games and started working through, you know, local local stuff. And then ultimately it just said, you know what, I'm going to watch you know, all of week one of the NFL. And, and you know, a couple of guys that I do in tackling do a great job, and they say, you know what, and I, and I know even the Seahawks did this, you know, they, they use a lot in their teaching. They use a lot of the um, the, uh, the the game clips from, from the television broadcast because they get so tight into tackles. And we're talking about, uh, a lot of uh, fundamental skills and stuff like very, very, very focused um, fundamentals that are are, um, are are not ably picked up on like the All-22 film um, that they get real, real deep into, slow motion, repay. And I said, well, what if we actually go ahead and look at fundamental All-22 film from both angles, and then we actually match it up with the television copy and look at the details that are involved inside of it and did that for week one, and then ultimately, I said, "There's a lot I could learn from there. Let's start with let's go to week two. And then before I knew it, I was, you know, in week twelve or something like that, <laughs> and it's gone every single day. <laughs> and uh, and and it created a hashtag, and you find different ways to do it and put emojis, and you have fun with it too. But I think at some point in time, uh, uh, I don't know if I learned some tackle study or I, uh, from doing the tackle study, or I stayed on track to know what day it was." Uh, each time because because with the pandemic things kind of like slowed from day to day to day but it became a little bit of a thing every day where it was like um you you, you kind of just look for something new and something different and as you go through film you say yeah i saw that yesterday in the, you know in the in this team's film and i saw that happen on the perimeter and oh wow that's kind of different like he fit off of an inserted block over there and he had to go ahead and clear his hips and then get square again and re-enter. That was like really, really interesting. And wow, look at the, look at, look at that kind of happen. Oh, wow, that that that's a unique way to cause it's called takeaway right there. Like that to really cause ball disruption. Like I didn't really see that to happen. Like you know, or wow, that was just superhuman. Like in certain certain respects, you kind of look. And I got to tell you, I probably learned more about players, about their history, about everything, and it kind of it's led me down this path to see like how did this player who maybe I didn't really realize was a two or three time all pro, like how, where were they drafted? What did they look like in high school? And it's really helped me kind of develop over a period of time, what that all kind of looks like. Well, it's, it, it definitely was some interesting stuff. And as you started to put it out, you know, you saw them a little bit more as, as just one-offs, but then you started to see, as you said, those things repeating over and over and, you know, the, the library, you now, have is immense. Actually, you put some of that together in into uh, your coach tube courses too. 
But you continued to you continued to study this, and you looked at you know, some different ways of thinking about tackle. And for you, it, it landed on fitting it into three C's. Talk to us about the three C's and what you were seeing through your own tackle study that those started to develop for you. So it was kind of you kind of look at this from, and I always like to talk about a whole part whole kind of uh, process for myself. So we're looking at those, the big picture, like the, the entire play, the, the whole process of, you know, from, from reason keys all the way down to the finish and completion of the play. And it, it, what kind of got interesting with the three C's is that it came back to this. It came back to, let's see how tackling gets coached at the highest level, right? Let's start to really look closely at it because, the thing that's kind of happened with some of the tackling systems, and I think there's some really great evidence of stuff that people do out there, like across the board. And, and you see, um, you know, you know, some people talk about, I talk a lot about tackling. I do a lot about tackling. But my basis for, like, even getting involved with this was from selfishly from being a coordinator and wanting to be really alert on how a play completed and finished. That's how I kind of began this whole process. And I always talked about the fact that I had an assistant coach who brought to me like a coach, uh, coach's uh, choice video about non-padded tackling. And we were at Division Three, and we were in spring football. We knew we had to be better tacklers, so we started to do this way before it became, you know, people were selling tackling systems and doing stuff like that. So that's how selfishly I got involved with the tackling side of it, too, um, and really being able to go ahead and have body control and everything else. What happened was, you know, somewhere along the line, um, well, we, we obviously know compliance has definitely uh, increased when it comes to contact, when it comes to contact. And and not to say in a way that that's a bad thing, obviously. That's something that's very positive for the play, for player safety of the game. But at some point in time, in, when compliance increased, like compliance kind of like overtook coaching on contact sometimes, right? Where it mm-hmm. became you know, more about compliance than it became about the coaching of it, right? So it became about, you know, I have to do this thing in the system. And people became, you know, you know, I do this kind of tackling or I do this kind of tackling or I do this kind of tackling when it's really not as simple as that sometimes, right? It's really about the contact itself. And in the development of a lot of these systems, people took from a lot of different areas. And, again, there's a lot of information. I'm not saying any of this is, is wrong. But what I've come to find personally is what ended up happening was, as that took place, people weren't listening to people who have coached this for a very long time, right? And people have coached in a different way, and people are kind of checking the box and saying, we've done our tackling stuff as per a blank system, rather than taking upon what they already, you know, kind of hybriding it and being able to experience it. So I took, went back and looked at how people speak about tackling, you know, um, specifically at the highest level, the FDS level, more so at the FCS level than anybody else, a lot at the FCS level and even, and even around it at different various levels as well, but more so of like, what are the fundamentals that are being taught, right? And what is the most important thing that I can coach and I can coach off of more than anything else? And, and what happened was, is we looked at it from a place where we looked at these, it ultimately became three C's and the first C became contact, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much to be said about, pathways to the ball, tracking the football, leveraging the football, closing space, whatever the case may be, right? There's, there's, a, there's, there's so many drills that are being done and, and, and there's so many really good drills that are, that are being done at angles, right? And that has 
probably come and footwork obviously being so critical to what everything you do basically in, in sport and in any real sport, what ends up happening is we spend so much time on that, right? We spend so much time on like eye focus and all the other stuff too. And then we get at really close range when it comes to like actually tackling something, you know, we haven't been able to kind of work full speed into anything. Right. So what ends up happening, and I, and I agree with that, believe me, in the teaching, it's not something that I disagree with. So, but what happened was we said, let's, well, I said, let's look at, let's look at the most critical thing that tells the story before and after the tackle occurs. Right. And the most critical thing is how you actually enter the tackle itself. Right. So with all of everything that's been said, from the fact of how you leverage a football to the fact of how you how you control the ball carrier and bring them down and everything, the most important thing that we looked at was the actual point of contact itself and the body position on contact. So in doing that, we said, well, what is the ideal situation to be in? And and not that I disagree with this, but a lot of people would say near foot, near shoulder, right? And again, that is probably you know arguably the most powerful position to be in is have your near foot, your near shoulder up, right? But there's also a reality that a lot of tackling is done on the run and on the move. So it's not as consistent to be able to always get into that position, especially when you want to be able to play by your pet behind your pad and be really forceful and in your contact too, right? To be able to get yourself down to that place and get your body under control. So what we said was the most important thing that basically needs to happen is to be able to enter the ball carrier with me being square to the football, square to the football, and ultimately hopefully square to the ball carrier. Because if you watch the running back coach's coach, they constantly talk about being able to get their foot in the ground and get upfield, right? Or, you know, turn upfield, right? You know, that's ultimately their goal too. So our goal is really reverse engineered be able to make sure that we're getting as square to the football as possible but the byproduct of that is is that you're able to tell the story of what happened either before or what happens after that because and not to say not to say when i'm playing from behind because i'm the trail player in leverage or something like that like we're not talking about that we're talking about if i am the, the ultimate fitter keeping the ball inside and in front of me right am i able to go ahead and and when I make contact, remain square down the midline of the ball carrier, right? Keeping my head out of contact and give myself the ability to drive them back. And if I'm not, why is that happening, right? If I'm constantly behind the ball carrier, right? If I'm constantly behind the ball carrier, it may not be as a result of me, my ability to tackle. It might be as an ability for where my eyes are pre-snap. It might be for me to be able to trigger and react. It might be the, the leverage and pass that I'm taking direct line to the ball carrier, right? And it may be, or it may be some other things that are happening there. It may be because, because they've got me out schemed and I can't get there quick enough, right? It could be an ability thing too. There's so many different reasons, but what ends up happening is I can now know my tackler from that ability to say from right there to look backwards and say, let me look at why this player ends up on the back hip. And then a lot of times, and I'm talking about when we're talking about square, we're talking about ultimately through the number, right? When I'm on that front hip coming in from an angle, a lot of that has to do with the angle of, of the tackler, right? And also, we start to find that 
you know, generally kids, kids, they cast a little bit of a wide net to tackle in there. They cast a wide net, they play it somewhat safe, right? And they kind of think to themselves, well, this is the general spot or the area that I have to get to, rather than take the straight line at the ball carrier um, and really like building upon like a mentality where I'm willing to go ahead and take a small risk in there too to be able to go ahead and, and make contact inside there too. And a lot of times, ultimately, you find yourself where guys are getting dragged, where guys are diving, where, where things like that are happening. And it's kind of as a result of them taking too wide of a path and their footwork being off because they may be a little bit too much um, involved with, you know, same foot, same shoulder and thinking to themselves that, which is definitely true, right? But what ends up happening is, they start to they start to throttle down a little too fast, or they start to take a little bit, like I said, a wider path inside there too. So with that, it kind of gets to the point where when I enter square and watching this, and especially since teaching this, since we've kind of looked at it post pandemic, when we start to look at um, you know return to football, and we start to look at our own guys, you kind of look to yourself and you say, well, wait a second, if I can make square contact, even if even if I don't have my foot down. I could probably, even if my outside foot is down and not my inside nearest foot is down, I can still generate enough power because I can get more depth in, in where I'm working to generate power and get that foot back in the ground as quickly as possible because I have square shoulder contact. And now I can make truly forceful contact to get backwards. So that kind of is how it kind of worked, how it shook out to get to the contact part of it. And then, so then we started looking at strike zone. Right. Mm -hmm. Start looking at the actual contact and strike zone. So with that, and you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm originally from Queens, Long Island area too. And if you go from Queens to the Bronx and you try to play stickball, like there's different ways to play stickball. Mm -hmm. One, you bounce in the street. Ones you have against the wall. So strike zones are always like you know different. So I'm sure you walk across the country and you ask the kid, you know, what's the strike zone? And you know, I know, I know your kid plays baseball, so you know the strike zone. He knows the strike zone. Uh, but in the end of the day, not every kid understands what the strike zone actually is, right? So we have to almost say strike zone and have to re-explain strike zone. So we ended up kind of looking at it saying, well, what's a more efficient way to go ahead and say where we want the contact to be made? And what we've kind of come up with is, and especially in looking at these leverage-based, tracking-based drills, a lot of times what ends up happening is as players um, accelerate and decelerate, they tend to turn their foot outwards, right? They tend to turn their foot outwards because it's slightly more comfortable uh, to be able to do that, right? And what we ultimately looked at was the idea that if I'm working downhill, if I've got to accelerate and decelerate, I want to continue to make sure I'm, I'm pressing off the front of my foot because I want to accelerate out of there almost like I'm accelerating out of blocks in a, in, in a, in a, a track sprint, right? So the same, same goes for when I make contact with the ball carrier. Right, I so I want my the, I want my foot pointing towards the actual ball carrier itself. So what we started to emphasize was toes to target, right? The toes towards the target, right? So what does that do, right? It ultimately trains me to get the biggest part of the ball of my foot, the base of my foot, pointed towards the ball carrier, so that when I do make contact, if it's even if it's not my nearest foot, I can still generate power off of that and I'm not I'm, I'm less likely to brace off that foot the other side of it comes back to okay so that's where your toes are so where do I want my hitting zone to be right and one of the things kind of looked at and I took this from from people about you know creating 
spots and creating um, visuals for where to go ahead and, and, and make contact on a body and things like that, put things on bags and, you know, really staying like strike points. And, you know, we all use them too, right? You know, you usually have the, uh, the, the marking on, on the agile bags and you say that you want guys to run over, you know, do agiles over the middle of the bags and use footwork. You say, don't stay to the back of the bag, stay to the middle, stay over the logo. You know, we use it on shields all the time, striking the logo of, of the bag, all the other stuff too. So the con- consistent low, the consistent marking that every ball carrier has is their number. Right. Right. So of course now you start getting into, you start getting into, Hey, you know, what is the rules on the number? Right, so NCA rule is eight to ten inches, right? And you know where it, where it sits in there. So okay, that's interesting. So then you start googling and you say like, all right, so where's the number? So it sits on a torso, right? So I care about the hips. I care about, I care about you know staying a, you know as close to where the hips are as possible in that general vicinity, because that's where I have the most flexibility, right? I don't want to run into the hard parts. I want to run into the softer parts that are more willing to kind of um, to, to be flexible and bend for me in a way that allows me to control it, right? Um, and then I obviously want to stay away from the head and neck area, absolutely. So what we started to look at was we said, okay, so if I measure the torso, what is like the average size of the torso? The average size of the torso on a male is about 18 to 20 inches, right? From the C7 vertebrae on the back to the top of the iliac crest on, on, on the hip bone. I am not that smart. I just moved, <laughs> right? So I wanted to see what it is. <laughs> so... so. My mom's a nurse, so shout out to her. So I, I, li- I listened to something at some point in time, but I more so listened to how to Google, and I memorized Iliac Crest. So there you go. But the bottom line is, is that I'm going to get to the point of it, is that 18 to 20 inches and 8 to 10 inches sits in the center of that. So, right, I want to ultimately make sure that I am keeping to that level. So we came up with the idea of the nose to the level of the number, right? Not nose on the number but nose to the level of the number. And that's where I want my contact to be because, again, I'm training from my eyes to my seat. And Kyle Slutter, I saw once say this at a clinic years ago, um, you know, Queens guy too, he said at a clinic, he said, if you coach from the seat to the eyes, you got to cut right? If you coach, like so, you know. And I always took that no matter what it was. And I've never really coached an offensive lineman. But, like, I said, hey, listen, if we can tell them where we want their feet and we can tell them where we want their eyes, Right, and and we can tell them, give them landmarks of what we want there. We could be in a, in, a, in a pretty good place, right? So now instead of saying with the strike zone, we're really looking to keep our toes towards their target and our nose at the level of the number, and obviously saying that we want to make sure to keep the head out of contact. So not to confuse the nose through the number. We're not saying that. We're saying that the nose nose at the level of the number and allow our, us to play behind our pads behind it too. But by entering square and having nose to number and toes to target, it gives, and, and again, I went through an entire scenario for you, and we don't do that with players. So basically we say nose to the level of number, toes to target. And that's something that they can now say in their head over and over and over again, right? No different from where people are saying near foot, near shoulder, near foot, near shoulder, because if kids are doing that and kids hear that, that's great, right? And there's a time and a place for, for that type of stuff too. Right, but at the end of the day, if we're trying to build a mentality of, of of striking through a ball carrier of what that contact looked like, staying square, right? That's what we're doing. What we allow ourselves to do now is evaluate, right, all the all the stuff pre-contact and now all the stuff post-contact. Because one of the things that we we do in the in the finish is 
you know, however you enter, the finish is really non-negotiable. We're always looking to finish on top, right? And we're always looking to make sure that we are trying to strain to face the opposing goal line. So if I'm finishing on top and facing the opposing goal line and everything that I do, regardless of how I enter, behind, in front, from the side, whatever the case may be, I'm always, I'm always straining to put myself in a dominant position. And by doing that, right, I have probably coached less of yards after contact and more after something tangible that can be, that can be, that can be evidence-based on film rather than talk about something that possibly doesn't have as much meaning at the time. Like it's not, it's, it's, it creates a, a place that we have an instant evaluation on the field if we're continuously on top, continuously straining to chase the goal line. Regardless of how we tackle it, regardless of how we do that, it's, it's, um, it's, it's evidence-based for us right away too. So that's pretty much how we talked about contact in the three C's. Right. And then we added, were able to add on chase, right? And chase really, you know, is, a, is really pursuit when we're talking. We're talking about pursuit angles. We're talking about leveraging the football. And a funny thing happened, right? Here, here's, a great, here's a funny thing, right, it's this, in, this, in this whole study. When there's more guys at the ball, you tackle better. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that, right? You, you, you came and, up with that on your own? <laughs> well, you know, I took a lot of research. And, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, like, it's kind of undeniable that the more, the more I have at the ball, the better tackling team I'm going to be. Right, and the more I have with the ball, the more confident my tacklers don't. Right, so you really got both of those things. So, as I said before about players taking a wider path, right, when you can get more numbers to the ball, right, they're going to take a much. They're going to have more confidence to be able to take more shots at the, at, at the ball carrier that are more. Um, I don't want to say risky, but they're they're more consistent with what you're asking them to do about not playing it safe, right? They're, they're, they're in a place where they can, they feel more comfortable that there's going to be support there too. So that's one of the things when you start to look at the higher level, when you start to look at, you know, the big 10 SEC schools and obviously looking at the NFL players, you know, you know, there are not many circumstances. There's not much that you see where there's more than two, three tacklers there because the speed of the game is, is much faster and because the field gets stretched that much quicker, right? At those levels. So, but when we start to really look at it, the teams that generally are a little bit more dominant get more people at the ball where they can keep it in front of them, right? And not getting players to the ball is not, I tend to find in studying this, is not always the byproduct of effort, right? Sometimes it is. I'm not going to discount that. But sometimes it's about leverage. So it's, it goes back to how can I measure that, right? And again, you, everybody has ways that we look at pursuit, right? We have nice, some, some great tangible things about measuring effort. Um, I, I'm not as big on like calling it lopes. I'd rather try to call it the positive. I'd rather say like, you know, max effort, you know, if you look at little things that we've taken through the years, you know, you look at, um, you know, not getting passed by a player at your position. You look at no hand and knee on the ground on, 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 uh, on, uh, uh, getting off the ground. Um, you talk about three step first to the football. You talk about like all the leverage components that you have inside there. You talk through all of those different things, and you, you're able to reinforce that in your in your daily activity, what you do, in your everyday team drills, the pursuit drills, everything like that. And regardless of how you do it, but the key is now you you're able to measure it too. So when we look at it, when we look at the um, the contact, go back to contact. Started to say, well, 
how do I know, right, if I'm looking on film? I want to make this as simple as possible. And for anybody that's kind of heard me talk in the past or anybody that's kind of looked at some of the stuff that I've maybe put out, like, there was some extensive data piece that came out of here, right? And I was happy to do those things because it brought me to conclusion. But I found that it wasn't transferable for other coaches to understand. And it was overwhelming. Right. And not to say that I'm any smarter than anybody else, but I was just kind of devoted to that. And I did the study. And once people looked at it, they were kind of like turned off by it, mm-hmm. more than they were turned on by. It. Because what happens is too much. It's too much sometimes. You have to come back and say, like, give me the essential. Give me one thing, one thing that I can transfer over to this. And by looking at it from a perspective of, of entry point and contact, I said, well, you know what? It's all about creating value. So if I can go ahead and get some value here, Right. If I can get some value out of this, then maybe I can see like what's good and what's bad and what's efficient and like really almost ultimately get a grade. So the value created was say, well, okay. And then a lot of times when I talk talk to coaches about this, um, the idea of, of putting value to the entry points of contact, I say to them, what's the most like? What are the four ways you can and generically that you can make contact on a on a ball carrier? And obviously they say, well, I can get them from the front. I can get them from the back. Right. I can get them from, from the side, right? A lot of times they say that. Said, All right, let's, let's go ahead and break up the side into the front, inside and in front, and, and behind, right, and from the side. I said, okay, fine. So what's the most valuable? Most people say, well, in front, right? I want to keep the ball in front of me, right? So in saying that, right, right, so we have four areas. So we said, let's give that a value of four, right? Well, what about, well, what's the worst position you want to be in? Well, I want behind, right? So behind, we'll give a value of one. Easy enough now, right? In front, but on the front hip, right? Just off the front hip, we give a value of three. And behind, right? But on the back hip, we give a value of two. So right away, we created a value. So now, looking at a tackle, we're able to go ahead and say, okay, that's right in front. All right, that's the front hip. All right, that's the back hip. All right, that's from behind. So in doing that, like, we're able to just put, go down from all these millions of different categories that we had, instead of doing that, we're able to just go down to one singular number in there too. And that's it. Right. And that right there became the primary tackler's entry point. It allowed us to look at the whole defense. Now, instead of getting focused on all these little components, these little details within the tackle and all that other stuff, which is still very valuable and nice for an off season study. Right. It's really nice for that stuff. And definitely something these folks, a road I still go down, but I don't find myself going down to this more as much anymore because I have a singular number, that thing I care about the most. And by doing it, now I start to look at other stuff, right? And I'm able to say, okay, how many guys would we get to the ball? Like how many players would we actually get there? So by doing that, now I've got, now I've got like two different subcategories. So now I can actually say, all right, we entered from the front, right? From right down from square. So I got a value of four. And now maybe I got three players to the ball. So guess what? I got a value of seven right now, right? That's pretty good, right? That's great, right? But then you go back to the other part of it too, right? So I got, so I've got the contact part, right? Ultimately, I've got pursuit, which we call, I call the chase part, right? That's completed, right? But where do the two worlds intersect, right? Because there's one thing in there that you're missing, one thing in there that you're missing that is most critical of all this other stuff. And the thing that we care about most of all, yardage, 
yardage. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the biggest thing we care about here, right? That's the big, right? Like territory and yardage. If that's not like, if that's, you know, we talk, you know, if coaches say like, you know, I care so much about, you know, then you care about, you know, as a coordinator, you care about yardage. <laughs> you care about giving up yardage, preventing yardage. That's what you care about. And, and you want to talk about if something is efficiency, right, efficient, you want to be able to go ahead and say you're preventing yardage, right? You're, you're preventing yardage at every spot. And what we did was we said, okay, right? So I got this number, right? I got three players the ball. I'm entering square. But how much yardage did I give up? And now we were able to go ahead and say we're going to divide that. We're going to divide that seven number we have by the amount of yardage that we gave up. And in the past, we probably spent a lot of time talking about yards after contact. Now, instead, we kind of looked and said, you know what, let's do yards. Let's do just yards of the play. Like, let's do yards of the play because that's what's really most important, right? Right? How many, how did I get, how, when, I, the front, when the first guy got to the ball, when the first player got to the ball, what kind of, what kind of leverage did they have? How many people could I get there? And how many yards did I give up? And if I can go ahead and get that in a singular number, now I really have everything intersects and where it all kind of converges together. And as your third C, right, is, the, is how it actually merges, converges together. And it's able to bring what we found is by doing it, saying, saying here's the entry point of the tackler. Here's how many numbers we got there as, as far as defenders. Divided by the amount of yards that we gave up, it pumps out one singular number. And by having one singular number now, right, it's able to really show me not about tackling on the play, but really show me about the efficiency of the play from top to bottom, right? And able, and that now I am entering all these other fields inside there, and it's given me the ability to go ahead and, and, and take, like, what does it look like series by series? What does it look like on third down? What does it look like in run pass? What does it look like in D-gap? Whatever you kind of do, and it really was able to merge the two worlds together. Right, merge the worlds of skill with scheme together too, and that's kind of where we've gotten to with it. And uh, you know, that's that's kind of like that's kind of like the entry point, for lack of a better term, is the entry point to a lot of other stuff that's getting to now. Yes, well, and and you and I have, have talked about a lot of those other things, which is some of this we'll have to save for another time. But looking at the three th- C's and the basically the analytics you've been able to put together, as you said, to evaluate skill, to evaluate scheme and how those two things fit together. Um, anything you do, whatever numbers you come up with or with or evaluations in any kind of, of scheme or technique, you have to make uh, applicable to improving performance, right? So how do you take those numbers then and look at, okay, uh, how do we improve performance and uh, maybe how do we even game plan better? Because we've talked about this being more about team defense than anything. So how does that start to come together with with the three C's? Sure. So, so what ultimately ends up happening from a game planning perspective, it's, a, it's an unbelievable self-scout. Right? Let's start with that, right? So if, I, if I'm finding, because now I can start to look at formation, right? I can start to look at um, um, you know, with if it's three by one or two by two, I could start to look at run versus pass. I could start to look at different components of it, right? Outside of just looking at individual players, 
right? I'm able to see where, when, when I'm getting, again, motion, things like that. I mean, kind of, it's endless of the things that you're already looking at game planning wise, and then being able to hybrid it and going, where am I having the most success and where am I having the most challenges in a much more um, efficient type of way? Because now I could look and see through the eyes of what somebody's game planning against me, what they're actually seeing. Because that's what they're looking for, too. We all know that they're looking for areas that you might have uh, vulnerability, right? So you ultimately can see where your successes are and where you're vulnerable and come up with conclusions as to why that actually happens, right? And one of the things that this has changed is the ability to hit chart some of this as opposed to um, just having, like, long, drawn-out kind of uh, Excel files and, you know, um, whatever, you know, what be it kind of like looking at, like, you know, from individual skill, you're looking at it from perspective saying, all right, let's do this in a hit chart formation. I enter it into my video operating system and have whatever that pumps out to see like, where are my high points? Where are my low points? And then it ultimately helps you to see like through their, their eyes. Now, from an individual skill piece, it's able to go ahead and, and, um, and help you a little bit more with, with the ability to evaluate what players' needs are directly right from it too and if you'll see right away right and this is like an old thing like when i first became a coordinator like we couldn't defend any kind of perimeter scheme that's my fault right and we really couldn't defend the perimeter scheme and boom right and we used to we used to go ahead and, and uh you know as a young coordinator i'd go in the room and i'd say all right let's uh, um you know watch their film and we'll do all this stuff this is what they run this is what they do and then <laughs> the next week did come out they wouldn't have boot. They wouldn't have any perimeter screen. They wouldn't have any of that stuff on it. The next day, the first two series were boot and perimeter screen, right? And we were like, and we still couldn't defend it. So we <laughs> all the time, why can't we defend it? Right? We couldn't defend it because we never repped it. Like we couldn't defend it because we didn't have, we couldn't get, we couldn't get numbers there, right? We couldn't do that. We never lined it up. So ultimately, looking in the past of something that I would have been able to use now, and we actually, once we actually got to a place where we realized that two or three weeks in a row that nobody didn't, people didn't have it in their playbook and they basically put it in their playbook because we couldn't defend it. We basically started to line it up and teach it and we got numbers there, right? This to me back then, and obviously this is 20 years later, this to me would have been a much more efficient way to find out, to come to that conclusion, to be able to go ahead and take a play and rep it and make sure it's there too. And it's funny because people ask me, they say, you know, you know, they, they say, yeah, you must have drills for everything. I said, I've probably done drills for a lot of things, but I've probably not done more drills than I, that I, that I kind of like have designed or maybe done one-offs of just because we try to stay with very, you know, direct, you know, focused drills. I think the, the biggest drill that I think is probably undercoached is teaching how to stunt. Like more than anything else is really like we take for granted. We go from drill and then we try to go ahead and try to thud. But to me, is the ability to get players to the ball, to leverage it, to work together in large space, right? But ultimately, the other piece of it, too, is if I can control myself and control the ball carrier by keeping them off the ground, I'm definitely going to be able to control them to keep put them on the ground, right, too. So a lot of that speaks to the leverage and understanding the spacing and understanding, um, you know, body control and where my help is and be able to get numbers to the ball because, you know, you can run a lot more than you could hit, right, <laughs> in practice, right? We know that. You definitely, and, and, and again, there's compliance piece, but then there's also the coaching piece, right? There's only so many hits that people are going to take. So 
you know, at the beginning when we first started with a lot of these initiatives, like people were kind of like looked at the people who were doing the tackling stuff and saying, oh, yeah, you're like the safety police. And now it's kind of followed suit where, you know, leagues are limiting the amount of contact. And the reality is, is that, you know, we're all about performance, right? We want to be able to perform at top, at top levels on game day. So we have to be able to be smart with our contacts. We can't just go ahead and take contacts, but we have to be ready to make them too. And the point is, like, when you go ahead and teach that team defense aspect, be able to find plays that you need to learn to leverage up, right, or find spots that you can't get to in the football, right, to get to successfully, and then teach ways to come in under control, to control a ball carrier, to even keep them on their feet, right, you find that, you know, you become much more uh, efficient with what you do uh, and you play a better brand of team defense, which ultimately ends up team tackling. And then the other side of tackling is, like what I said before, for those players that can't get there because it's maybe a scheme thing or a skill thing, right, that's obviously something that has to be constantly evolved and worked on. But for the players that don't understand that they can shorten that area and run directly at a ball carrier, right, because they're confident that the next person's there because the worst thing they want to do is miss an open field tackle, right? They don't want to miss an open field tackle and have nobody left behind, especially when it comes back to the level, you know, the third-level players. They don't really, really don't want to miss a tackle because they know there's nothing really to help them, right, in there too. So they are working in a place where they're working down into the second level or even the first level, and they're more confident to take that, that, that angle right towards the ball carrier, right, as opposed to casting that wide net because they realize that they have help around them and because everybody understands their leverage points, that's a real big benefit to being able to look at it this way too. And then even like now, there's more of an emphasis as people start to see with, you know, and I see this around on Twitter and I see that how people are doing agilities and, and even we're doing it in that respect too, is to really work the lateral run, right? We're seeing more people work the lateral run towards the football. Like we're seeing that as part of, become part of a mainstay as, as, as opposed to the, the turn and run. People are working to lateral run as to work towards the football. And that's something I think that, especially leveraging from across the field down, you tend to see um, young players especially do, you know, even older ones too, you see, tend to see them overrun the football. And once they start, you know, you know moving around and things like that and they, and they get out leveraged and they work here, um, you know, those obviously become a challenge. So it's got to become second nature in, in your teaching with it too. So that ultimately helps kind of merge all those things together. And then the other thing too, and I think this is another road to go down, is it helps in like evaluation a little bit too, right? So even when you start to look at high school players and you start to look at from anywhere from like the, from the pathway from the prep all the way up to the pro, and you look at, um, you look at, evaluating film, you start to see how players enter tackles, right? You start to see them do things. And ultimately, you want to see that match up with even combine. And when you start to look at the combine, you see how is their broad jump? Like, when they broad jump, you know, because that ultimately is exactly what you're asking for them to be able to open up lead with their shoulders and finish through with their hips and stick the landing, right? Can I be in control on that landing? So there's a lot to be said for that kind of stuff, too, as it works into into a two for evaluation. And if you look at the top tacklers in the league and you start to look at their combine numbers, and as I said, when you start, that's a road that I went down from tackle study is to start to look at the length that they're able to gain. It ultimately increases their range. And then it's about being able to match up 
their their range with their with their level of confidence, and not just their confidence in contact, but their confidence in in what in in support around them too. It's it's interesting to me when you brought those ideas up. You know, it, it was a few weeks before the draft, and you started talking about some of these evaluation things. And I think, you know, certainly there's there's a lot a lot you can take away from a combine and looking at things, but. Um, using some of those numbers as a, a predictor, along with you know what you see on film, as to how effective a player can be, not just in the NFL but really at any level, I think starts to become important. We do all those kinds of things, right? We're we're about to get into uh, the summer months, not too uh, far down the line here, and and so all these things start to happen at camps, and coaches are looking at those things. But but ultimately, what do you do with with that data to help you figure out? You know, if you're at the high school level, maybe, all right, this is where my guys are at. How do, how do we further development them and, and what are our expectations for what they can do tackling-wise? But then, you know, for, for somebody at your level, looking at recruiting too and looking at being able to predict like based on, you know, we see some good things on film, but based on some of these raw numbers, this guy has the ability to be an elite tackler at our level. Uh, how important is sure. it then to to start to look at things in that way? And I I do want to get back to ultimately some of the some of the the results of what we're looking for in the three C's. But since we went down this rabbit hole a bit, I'd, I'd like to talk about those things. Yeah. So you know the the thing with with those numbers, I think that's most important. Is, and 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 speaking to, you know, I've managed to speak to a couple of pro coaches and scouting people about like those how those numbers translate. Um, but even speaking to high school coaches and there's a reality when you start to talk about some of this, where you say, well, if they really can't broad jump and come under control, like I really need to, to make sure that I'm working towards that before I'm really working towards some intense contact, right. That I'm working towards those kind of things on air that are there too. And because, and if they, you know, really can't come out of their hips and, do anything where it comes to being able to vertical jump and getting kind of force behind it. Like now I, I and they're in the standing position. It's going to be hard for me to expect them to do that on the run. Right. And really go, you know, again, you know, strike on the rise and things of that nature too. And then the other thing too, you start to be with arm length and wingspan and you start to measure hands. And then it, 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 you start to find those little dynamics for ways that you may have to, modify your teaching in a lot of respects too right and work towards some of those things it's, it's very it's very kind of interesting when you go down that path especially with younger kids that's why one of the things that i've been saying to some of the high school that we've been talking is like you know you know, start that measurement process a little earlier you know see what that looks like you know like have them become more accustomed to what they can do because yeah they're going to ultimately be evaluated on it you know College coaches, we do it all the time. You know, we always look at numbers. We look at lines. We do all that other stuff, too. You know, it's kind of become a little bit different now with some of the virtual combine numbers that people send in. And, you know, hopefully, we'll, you know, soon we'll be getting back to doing it live. But the, the, the whole thing, the whole thing that comes down to at the end of the day is, is really um, just ability, right? Straight out ability. Yes, yeah, comes out to straight out ability and ability to go ahead and, uh, and come out of your hips and do some of the other stuff too. And I know you. We, I want to, we want to go down some results of like the converge yes. and some of the and some of the three C. Right, right. right. Um, well, ultimately, so, you you are doing this um, 
not to come up with a lot of cool numbers. What you want is to decrease the yardage that your opponent is gaining. Decrease the yardage, decrease the points. So, uh, yeah, digging into the results here of, of all this work that you've done and, and um, you know, how this, how this pans out bigger picture to make your team better. Again, as you said, it's about performance. Yeah, so the big part about that, what it comes down to is being able to say, because a lot of people go, you know, everybody kind of does this thing, right? Whenever there's a grade, the number one question is, did I pass? Right? Everybody says, did I pass? Right? That's the one. And then they want to know, well, what's really, what's a good grade, right? Ultimately, what's a good grade? So when we start to get to a place where we have, a, when that number shakes out, right? where it really starts to be above on, on when you take the amount of people to the ball and you take the amount of people, um, what the entry point is, and you divide it by the numbers. When it starts, when it's starting to find, and this is actually very interesting because at different levels, like the lower the level is, the higher the number generally is, right? The lower the level is, the higher the number generally is. And I've come to realize in studying it, it's just because the way that, because we all play on basically on the same size field, Right. And the, the reality is the field gets stretched and the one-on-one matchups are that much different at the highest level, right? So it's very, you know, in, in looking at the, the NFL level, you start to see like, you know, having two people at the ball and limiting them out yardage, two or three people at the ball and limiting down, to, you know, one to two, three yards a play, is not as likely. It really is not, does not happen as frequently as you think it actually happens. Um, to speak with the numbers piece, just because the plays happen so fast, the players are, are, are so fast and there's really not much of a difference from talent level from place to place right for the most part we know who's good and we know you know um who's not in the end of the day but there's a lot more equity when it comes to the, the talent pool and how they evaluate it too and how they are able how it kind of gets uh, delineated out especially with drafts and all the other stuff that happens too when you start to get when you start to work down levels you start to see that the the, the better numbers are occurring right obviously you know, when the ball remains somewhat closer, right? So what I started to see was if you can roughly get to a place where your converge number, when you shake it all out, is around three, you know, or maybe two and a half or three, like you're kind of making a statement that you have a solid tackle. You have one of three things happening at the ball. You have a solid tackle. You have maximum numbers at the ball. Or at minimum, you just minimize the amount of yards. And the probability is when you start to get in excess of that number on those plays, right, that's, those are really dominant plays. Those are really when you're really limited yards and you have great, great initial contact and you have numbers at the football, right, numbers at the football. And people, and people get into this wormhole when they start to talk to me about this. And they say, well, what would you call this? I said, you call it what you want to call it. Right, there's kind of a very general basis for it. Don't I'm not going to overcoach it to a way where I'm telling you, well, this is this, this is that. Like the only thing I would recommend is stay consistent with your with your grading. Right, you stay consistent with it because then you're able to, to do it. And what I found is, right, as a result, right, it's minimized the amount of coaching points that are happening, and you start to see the preaching of it of keep the ball inside and in front of you, keep, keep the ball inside, keep the ball in front, keep the ball in front, and there's so much of a value the people that I've worked with is you say keep the ball in front of you and the results are basically right there like you have it right in front of your face and now you can you can take it and you can translate it right away right you could you could say here's a dominant play here's here's a play where we struggled on here's a play where we're totally out leveraged 
right? And here's a play where, you know, you, you know, you see a kid make a great tackle on the third level, you know, which is, which is, which is nice. Right. But they may be one-on-one and you may have given up 12 yards on the play. Right. Thank you. You know, great job on that kid for making the tackle. However, why are we putting that kid in that position? Right. How do we prevent that from happening? Because that's ultimately our goal too. So to be able to go ahead and take that. And instead of just kind of oozing the odds of looking at the great tackle, you're able to look at it from the perspective, you know, either in game or post game to be able to say, all right, we got to prevent this thing from happening again. And that skill generally re- remains the same. And then, you know, you play with it and things like that. You, you, you know, you, you start to get into, you know, we give an extra point for takeaways and we, you know, do some other stuff on sack, whatever the case on sacks. And you can have fun with it because it's your skill. You can do whatever you want with it. It's not just, you're not, it's not a, and that's what I talked about before. It's not a compliance piece. It's a coaching piece. Right. Right. It's a coaching piece. And, and it's not a compliance piece. You don't have to turn this into your league at the end of the day. Right. It's about your it's directly correlated with your performance. And plus it also gives you a natural ability to go ahead and look at certain, certain plays you want to look at from a cut-up perspective. Right. Gain them over time. And the, the value of that self-scout. And a lot of people, you know, a lot more people did a lot of off-season um, uh, studies right you saw probably the most off-season studies in any off-season it's probably the longest off-season in the history of football right for a lot of people <laughs> but the challenge is is going too far down a place that it no longer becomes becomes compatible with what you're trying to get done right and that's where it's it's it's, it's trying to make sure that there's complete alignment to what you're trying to do and that's where um especially when it comes to skills right and you know you look, I probably spent more time looking at from the offensive side of the offensive line. Well, you can go down that hole and, you know, there's a million ways to kind of look at saying the same thing. Um, but ultimately you've got it. You only get one opportunity to coach it and you've got to be the most efficient as possible, especially with some of the time limitations we have with our kids, obviously the contact limitations, you know, all of that, 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 that takes place it's about the efficiency of it too. And you want to be able to say, like, let's make sure to mimic these results, these these areas that we have basically been able to focus on as our problematic areas, and even some areas to understand when you say to yourself, well, like, you know, how many times have you turned on a film and go, we were lucky to get away with that? <laughs> like, you say, like, even the ones that you, where your successes happen, you're able to see, like, this is why we were successful because we executed or we were kind of successful because they, they didn't understand. They didn't realize that they would have thrown this and they had problems. So there's areas that or run this player kind of gap over. And believe me, as you know, year by year, I think it's actually very helpful because, I, you know, you've gone down this way where maybe you've had a great, great performance against a player, against a coordinator in a year, and then the next year he's, you know, moving a gap, one gap over, and you can't get a play to save your life. You know, these kinds of yeah. these kind of things are are able to be produced at a very um, uh, in a very uh, efficient, ready, readily uh, available way um, by going down this road. And again, it's 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 one of those things where um, over time, I went down that road. I've been down that path where you just keep adding stuff. You keep adding fields. And you keep adding fields. And before you know it, you've added so many fields that you've forgotten the fields you've started with. <laughs> right. And you're not even looking at those anymore. 
and you start to say to yourself, like, you know, why don't we get, why does this thing that we used to do happen? Because you keep on adding and, you know, you wouldn't go into, you know, everybody has another, you know, manipulation in RPO. Everybody has another, but if you, if you don't install the basic ones, if you don't install the run part of the RPO, right, the basics of the run part of the RPO, like, it's not going to be as, we all know it's not going to be as effective no matter what your manipulatives are on the outside. You probably have better leverage, but, you know, over time, you're going to, it's going to suffer. So, what I found in doing it was with the, um, with this, was I said, let's, let's, let's go backwards. Let's go back to the, the original piece. So let's talk to more coaches about what's most important. What are, and let's watch people coach this skill. And what do they all say? What is consistent among coaches? So that it's something that it can be, that listens more to coaches and less to companies. Right and less to compliance and right. less to that kind of piece, but 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 respects it. Obviously respects it for the ones that we have to, and respects the fact that people have really good information. But put it back in the hands of coaches too, and and ultimately tie it into something tangible because, and not into well we only do this in the off season or that's too much. I can never do that. Right, and that's right. probably what I heard more from anybody else. And uh, you don't want to have something that people can't use. I mean, that's not something you want to have happen. So we right. <laughs> found a better way. <laughs> right. Well, in that regard, you've you've put all of this together uh, and go into so much more detail with what you do uh, in the course that you put on CoachTube on this, the, the Converge. So our, our listeners can go there and get that. Uh, you have two others there. One is in Lawrence First and Goal. It's enhancing year-round tackling, and the other one is engaged, uh, engaged tackling. And um, certainly, those are some things we'd love to talk to you about in the future and get into those more. But I guess uh, if you could give an overview of all that you've put into uh, the the three C's course uh, as uh, a resource for coaches, I know there's a, a ton of video in there. Yeah, so ultimately, as we went through that, we, when we looked at the three C's, we wanted to, to focus very heavily on um, obviously laying out the importance of it and then really drill work uh, from, the, from the contact side is to give as much evidence and drill work on, on finding different ways to, to get to different entry points, right? So that was, again, with the shoulder-led contact, with the visuals, with the ability to talk to talk through with the visuals of nose to numbers and toes to target um, and really be able to kind of create value in the grading system of it there. And then with the chase part of it too is, you know, give some insight as to how we're able to go ahead and do some of the uh, um, um, pursuit type drills and, and work on, you know, two man leverage, one man leverage and full team leverage. And then ultimately give like the punch list of what we look for, for maximum effort, towards the football so it gives you an evaluation tool there and then with the converge piece tying it all together the ability to go ahead and um, um, create that that atmosphere where we are able to translate it over to hit charts themselves right so that's one of the things that we definitely want to make sure that happens in there is that they they're translated over to individual hit charts and actually one thing i didn't mention when we get into is in the self scout, especially too, is like plays, right? When you look at actual individual plays, like for instance, right? If you're looking at inside zone, you're not only looking at, you know, 
okay, they run a bunch of things. So I don't always have it run against us, but where did it hit? Right? Where did these plays actually hit, and what was our leverage at different spots? So if I had weak side, inside zone, or strong side, inside zone, where did the ball actually cross the line right? based on what it is? And, and who knows your defense better than you do? Um, you know, where your three technique and what your rules are or, you know, where your fourth pressure comes from and it's playing quarters or whatever the case it is, right? Who knows it better than you? But then you start to understand and say, you know, hey, we see a lot, a lot, a lot of times it bends back to, you know, to the nub side or it goes to the tight ends or whatever the case may be, right? And see, like, that's where, you know, we're least efficient with our leverage and this is where we're most efficient with our leverage. So once you start to put those numbers together and then bisect them with pre-existing entered information that you already are doing to not have to duplicate work, now you've got a better view, a better global view of like where things, of where things happen. And, and again, with that, there's a lot of the precursors of what works and what doesn't. There's a lot of game evidence, a lot of game evidence of, of, of what we put on there too, broken down. Um, and obviously practice films and cut-ups too. Uh, just like in the other songs, a bunch of different bunch of different resources there. Well, for our listeners out there, uh, again, great content every single day. I'm I'm always retweeting it and liking it. Uh, your Twitter handle, where coaches can see the tackle study and also interact and ask questions. Oh, it's uh, at Coach Dig D I G, at Coach Dig. So. Yep, hit me up if you have any questions. Go for it. Well, Dig, I, I appreciate you taking time today to talk to me. You and I talk a lot, but uh, to talk to me on the podcast and uh, share some of these ideas, and I look forward to some of the things we're going to work on together in the future. Thanks, Keith. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and uh, talk some football. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please check out all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com. Got some great things coming for you in May. And for the last three months or so of this offseason, we'll be back with All In on Offense and our deep dive on defense. And we have some great interviews with coaches as well as some quick casts that we'll throw in there. Check out all we're doing again at coachandcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.